We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 6 through 16. Now I know last week we finished with verse 6, but I want to pick up with verse 6 again because in the time we ran out, we didn't have time to really cover something I want to pull out from verse 6. So it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, like I said, we're going to pick up with verse 6, is where we left off last week. And I want us to look closely at what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I don't want to skim over this, because unfortunately, too many Christians today do not understand this. They think they're pleasing to God, or they hope they're pleasing to God. They're doing what they think a good Christian ought to do. But they're not living by faith. Because remember, last week we looked at how to live by faith, you have faith only begins when what? God has spoken. You can't put your faith in faith. You can't put your faith in anything that hasn't been already promised by God or spoken by God. If God has spoken, you can put your faith in that, you can bank it on bank on that. That's what it has to be rooted in. So listen, if faith has to be rooted in what God has said. If you were to ask most Christians, what has God been saying, or what has God promised in His Word, most Christians would say what? I don't know. If I were to say to you, what's been God saying to you lately? Most Christians would say, I don't know if I ever hear from God. Well, if faith can only begin after God has spoken, and it's impossible to please God without faith, and you're not hearing from God... Are you living by faith? Are you pleasing God? I don't care how hard you're working. Remember Jesus said, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Jesus said to Martha, Martha, you're worried about a whole lot of stuff. 
And I want to challenge you tonight to not let this verse just skim by. I want you to begin to meditate on it. Part of what I want you to do is not just learn, hey, I learned something Jim taught me. I want you to understand what it means to allow the Spirit of God within you to really bring to your mind an understanding of His Word. In order to do that, you need to take a verse like this and you need to just think on it and allow God to speak to your heart. He'll bring other Scriptures to mind. Or as you read, He'll all of a sudden start putting passages together so that they make sense. But listen to what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And folks, I'm going to tell you now, if you are not right now living by faith in God, I'm not talking for salvation. Remember last week we talked about how real faith starts with what God has promised. Secondly, we looked at how real faith lives without a parachute. It really totally depends on God. It doesn't have a backup plan. And then we looked at how real faith with Enoch continues after salvation every day of our life, not just trusting God for salvation. And too many Christians today that I speak to in churches around the country trust God for their salvation. But from that point on, they don't know what it means to live by faith. And I want to challenge you to let the Spirit of God take this verse and begin to speak to your heart. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because you must not only believe that He exists, but that He what? Rewards those who diligently seek Him. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Remember, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him in everything. And that means a life of listening to God. And that's where most Christians today struggle. What do we wrestle with the most? Knowing what? The will of God. Isn't that what most Christians wrestle with today? Knowing the will of God. Hearing God's voice. Recognizing when He's leading. What does it mean to be led of the Spirit? What does it mean to have God speak to you? What does it mean to have God show you? And there's books out there that try to answer that question. And there's, the reason there's so many books is because most Christians don't understand it. And that means most Christians are not living by faith in what God has been leading them and showing them. In obedience to His Word. Because of that, even though they're hard trying to please Him, they're not. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you're going to see that become more clear as we continue on in our study. Now also tonight, you're going to see that there's a theme in where we're going, in the section of verses we're covering. It's more than just faith. As you know, we're taking a look at these individuals, these men and women of faith that God has said called the ancients and they, the ones they were, com- they were commended for their faith. We're going to take a look at a theme. And I want to read to you again verses 13 through 16. We'll come back and break it down. But I want to read to you verses 13 through 16 to kind of lay the foundation again of what we're going to be looking at tonight. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That's a toughie. How many of you ever heard a preacher preach on... They didn't receive what was promised. We don't like the sound of that. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. This is going to be the basis for where we're going to go tonight. And that's going to be what you can see behind everyone that we look at tonight. And let's start in verse 7 with Noah. It says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in fear, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All right. 
we're going to go back and take a look at Noah's story. But let's just start at what it says here. It says, Noah in faith built an ark when God said that he would judge the world with a flood. Had there ever been a flood before? Now remember, at this point in, in the history of the world, God's controlling the weather quite well. You know? And, and the, 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 we don't... Whether it rained or not at this point, some say that the, the, the Scripture doesn't say that it ever rained. We don't know if it had rained or not, but we know this much, that God was controlling the watering of the earth and all this, and there hadn't been a flood. But God now comes and says, I'm going to totally destroy the whole earth with a flood. I'm going to destroy every living creature. And Noah goes and he starts building a huge boat in accordance with God's design and God's instruction. Does anybody know where he built it? No, where? Do you know? Anybody know where? In the middle of dry land. Nowhere near any bodies of water. Now, think of how crazy that must have looked. Not only are you building the boat in the middle of nowhere, there's no way you're going to launch it. God spoke. And he believed God, listen, even though what God said he would do had never, ever, ever been done. Now, we'll deal with this a little bit more in a little bit. But part of the problems we deal with today is, is if we don't see how it's going to work, we don't usually do it. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 and look at verses 9 through 22. We're not going to read the whole story of Noah, but let's just take a look, just to kind of refresh some of your memory. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. So this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long. And by the way, if you're kind of curious about that, that's over four football fields long. I'm sorry, try again. Over two football fields long. One and a half. One and a half, that's right. My brain, I'm turning, I'm turning feet into yards here. That's one and a half football fields long. That's a big boat. All right. It's 70 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature and every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, what has Noah been told? God said, I'm going to destroy the whole earth and I'm going to do it with a flood. Had he ever seen a flood before? No. And he built a boat in the middle of land by faith, as the Hebrew writer puts it. Let me read to you again. The Hebrew writer says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark 
to save his family. And by faith he condemned the world, and we'll get to that in a second. He'd never seen a flood before. He built a huge boat in the middle of the land. Talk about faith in God's word, even though God promised things unseen. We have a tendency, when, we, when God asks us to do something that seems crazy, to quickly try to find other times that God might have done this. Now there's nothing wrong with that, because one of the things we're to do as Christians is to examine what we're hearing against the Scriptures. Could this be God? But we also have to be, be ready for the fact that Noah believed in what God said, even though he hadn't ever seen it before. We're just going to leave it at that for now, and in time this will become a little bit more clear. He also, we see a picture here of perseverance. Because this is not a quick assignment, is it? For him to build this ark. How long did it take him to build the ark? 120 years. Isn't that what we say? By the way, I'm surprised that y'all didn't just yell out 120 years. Because most people will say 120 years. But what I want to do tonight is I want to take a little time away from our study, but kind of as a little rabbit trail, rabbit to chase here tonight. And let's deal with how long does the scripture say it took Noah to build the ark? Because if you've ever grown up in church and you've been to the Sunday school lessons, you remember hearing about how over 120 years it took Noah to build the ark, right? How many here, show of hands, have heard that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark? Yeah, we have. We grew up in Sunday school. That's what they told us. But as I wrestled with this and went to look at it, I came to realize, you know what? The Bible doesn't say how long it took Noah to build the ark. This much we do know. It took a long time. It may have been 120 years, and I'll show you where that number came from. But actually, scripturally, the Bible doesn't say how long it took Noah to build the ark. That's just something we've been saying over the years. Now, again, it's a possibility, but we really don't know. So let's do a little fun study to see how long it might have taken him. Uh, it's starting in Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 3. It says, The Lord said, this is when the, the angels of God who left their position came down and made babies with the women on the earth. The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. At this point, God sets an edict. That, at that from that point on, there's only going to be 120 years before he destroys the earth. This is what he's promised. See, a lot of people say, well, this is where God says that man will not live past 120. And because nowadays man doesn't live past 120, they take this to say that God had said that man's limit is 120. Well, you can't, because if you keep reading, people live way past 120 after God makes this edict. I mean, some of Noah's sons lived to be 500 and something years. This edict is God saying... I'm going to bring judgment on the earth in 120 years. The limit of man left before I flood the earth and destroy the world is 120 years. Now, let's look now at Genesis chapter 5, verse 32. It says, After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Noah had his sons after he was how old? After he was 500. Alright, now go to Genesis chapter 6 and look at... Actually, let's go to Genesis chapter, yeah, Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 10. And it says there, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, says the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Jump down to verses 17 and 18. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that is the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Alright? 
Here again it says that you and your sons and your sons' wives are to be going into the ark. But look at chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. So if you do a little bit of math, how old was Noah when he gave birth to his sons? He was over 500. We don't know. It could have been 501 like Niggy, or it could have been 500 and something else. Sorry, that was too easy. Yeah. It was, he was over 500 years old, but when the flood came, Noah was 600. So between the time that he had his children and when the flood came was less than 100 years. If Noah's sons were alive when God gave Noah the edict, which it kind of reads like they were, but we don't know for sure. Let's just take it two directions. If his sons were alive when God gave him the command to build the ark, it was less than 100 years to build the ark. If God gave Noah the command at the same time that He says, that's it, 120 years and I'm bringing judgment, then God gave Noah the command prior to when He had his sons and had already given Noah a promise that his sons and his sons' wives are going to go into the ark. Do we know how long it was that Noah had built the ark? We really don't. But this again is just to kind of illustrate to you that those of us who have been over the years been told different things, we've been told it was 120 years. The scripture really doesn't say. But many of us just that we've been, I've been teaching that for years. 120 years he was building the ark. I preached many a sermon about how he preached for 120 years as he was building that ark. But the Bible really doesn't say it was 120 years. The Bible just says that God had determined at a certain point there'll be 120 years. And the Bible says that God told Noah that his sons and his sons' wives would go on the ark. It could be either way. The answer is, we don't know how long it took. This much we do know. It took a while. How long? Couldn't tell you. But it took a while to build the ark. And that is perseverance. Because you know full well, the people on the earth who are wicked and corrupt at this time, who see Noah building this boat in the middle of nowhere, were mocking him. Were they not? Are you not at this time in your life as a Christian in these days that we live in, many times at best people roll their eyes when they think of you and your faith? Yep. I just want to challenge you to say, don't be surprised if the world thinks you're crazy. Somebody's phone's ringing, by the way. It will stop. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's easier to let it go. Not a problem. All right. Do we know that was he and his family built the ark? He was just told that they were the ones who were going to go into it. Well, who helped? Who helped Noah build it? We don't know. Now we we can assume that his sons helped build it at some point during this process because they're old enough to have wives by the time they go in it. So they probably were old enough to help. So most likely his sons did help build it. Therefore, cut down hundred years. Yeah. Fred's trying to do the math here. He's trying to do the math. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Esther. Where did the supplies come from? Well, they're called trees. No, we're told they make it out of 
Well, it depends on the translation, whether or not it's gopher wood. Some translations say gopher wood, other translations, because we're trying to guess what that word actually is. You know. Exactly. Like I say, we, the word gopher is, is the King James translation. Of course. Yeah, and so. It, 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 well, it's it's not really desert, desert, but it's not near a big body of water. Is what it, what, what we're saying. Yeah. Hey, they the gopher wood means they had to go for it. Okay. God provided the material, God provided the labor, but he had to do what God said to do. But what we're getting at here, why the Hebrew writer is bringing this out is, it had never been done before, no one had ever seen a flood, yet he believed that God's word was true, even though what God said he would do had not been seen. Let's be honest, those of us who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture are considered nuts. Well, besides Enoch, we really we don't have a whole lot of example of rapture. What's it going to be like? We don't know. But we believe in it. But God said He'd do it. We believe it. Well, we don't have blind faith. The interesting thing is, is that uh, we look here. It says uh, in verse nine that He was perfect and He walked with God. So the fact is, is that it's just like with faith, we need to work by it. We need to walk by faith. Well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Do not walk by faith unless you know. Exactly. You do not obey God unless you know Him. So, even though he had never seen, he had never seen a flood, I guarantee you he had seen God's word Come happen through. day after day. If you're walking with God, uh, it's yep. daily. Now, we don't know this for a fact, but could there possibly have been a day during this process that his faith might have wavered? You're going to see it when we get to Abraham. You're going to see it when you get to Abraham. I hope so. <laughs> you hope so. But the thing is this. If God tells you something and it's not anything you've ever seen before, if it is, like you said, Jim, if God said it, and you know God said it, real faith says, I know it sounds crazy, and I know we haven't seen it before, but God said it. Secondly, real faith continues in perseverance. Continues in perseverance. But I want to... Right. But we don't know how that was manifested. How did Jesus feed the five thousand? How did that food multiply? We don't know. We really don't. But we believe that it did. By faith. By faith. We don't know if it happened in the basket and then they passed it out. We don't know if it happened as they passed it out. We don't know. But we believe that it did because God said God said it and we believe it. But let's deal with this last part. Go back to Hebrews chapter eleven, verse seven again. It says And by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How did Noah condemn the world? By believing. By believing God. That's the importance. Whether or not anybody's condemned or not is by whether or not they believe. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3. It's very, very clear. John chapter 3, I want you to see verses 16 through 21. A lot of us can quote John 3.16, but how many of us can keep going? There's amazing statements that Jesus makes right after John 3.16. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and look at verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. 
Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You know, a lot of people today think that when they stand before God, they're going to go into a courtroom setting and God's going to weigh their good and their bad and He's going to judge whether or not they get into heaven. Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you're condemned already. And then He makes it even more clear. He said, here's the verdict. The judgment has already been made. If you do not believe, you're condemned. Don't say, well, I think He'll weigh my good and I'll get the courtroom setting then. Uh Uh-uh, the decision has already been made. The decision has already been made. And when Noah, by faith, obeyed God, kept building the ark, even though it didn't make sense, and he kept just moving forward in obedience to what God has said, in doing so, he was condemning everybody else. Why? Because God gives righteousness to those who believe and condemns all those who do not. Amen. Let's go look at Abraham now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I love this one. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I I rewrote this this way. By faith, Abraham followed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. How many of you right now can tell me what God's doing in your life? You really understand. You know what He's doing. I'm going to put my hand down too. I don't. The Bible is actually pretty clear in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. You've heard me quote it before. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments, His paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been His counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and to Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And then, of course, it goes into Romans 12, which says, And therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies of living sacrifices. And he says, And and don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what His will is. He goes from saying you're never going to figure him out to if you lay yourself on the altar a day at a time, depend on him, trust with him, walk with God as you put it, he'll show you today what he wants you to do. But folks, you're never really going to know where you're going to go. How many of you know where you're going to end up? You don't know. How many of you expected that you'd end up here? Besides heaven, we know where we're going to end up. But in this, in this life, we don't really know where we're going to end up. What God's going to, a lot of us look back at our lives and would have never thought I'd be here. Stop trying to figure out where you're going on this, in this life and learn to follow God a day at a time. Abraham was being taught to follow God in faith even though he didn't know where he was going. But what I want to bring out to you, though, is this. Abraham had a slow start in full obedience to God. We read about him here in Hebrews 11, and he sounds like Superman, doesn't he? Man, super faith. I want to take you back and show you something that some of you might not have seen. Abraham wasn't immediately obedient to God. Go to Genesis chapter 12. There's a word there that a lot of us have missed, 
in the passage that we call the call of Abraham. And even in chapter 12 in our Bibles, there's that little heading above it that says the call of Abraham, doesn't it? Look at what it says. It said, the Lord had said to Abram. Did you catch that? The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Okay, past tense. Yeah, it's past tense. Did you catch it? In Genesis 12 is not the call of Abraham. And I can prove it to you if you keep reading. Look closely. It says, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from where? Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So in chapter 12, where are they leaving from? Haran. They're leaving from Haran. Bookmark here. Go with me to Acts chapter 7. Sometimes he, sometimes he did. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he spoke through an angel. There's lots of different ways that he speaks. But we've got we've got we've got the indwelling spirit that they didn't have. All right, Acts chapter seven. Look at verses one through four. Stephen is preaching here, and he said, "Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true?" To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Do you see that? Leave your country and your people, God said, and and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. All right? So in, in Stephen's sermon, we see where was Abraham when God called him? In Mesopotamia, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. God says, I want you to leave your land, leave your people, leave your father's household, and come to a land that I'll show you. Now I'm going to show you that Abraham didn't fully obey when God called him there. Go back to Genesis chapter 11 and look at verse 31. Terah, chapter 11 of of Genesis, look at verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So God comes to Abraham in the land of the Chaldeans, or sorry, the Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia, and he says, leave who? Leave your father's household and this land and come to a land that I'll show you. Who does he bring with him? His dad. dad And his cousin. Does he fully obey? Now, folks, I'm not telling you that you have permission to disobey God. I want you to see this, though, till you'll see who God is. God is patient. God will get His way. And the sooner you yield in obedience to what He's saying, the better it will be for you, because He, as a loving parent, will have to amp up His discipline. But don't think for a second that you have to be perfect in obedience. Because even the men and women of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11 weren't. 
But they came to a place where they totally depended on God and God gave them righteousness and He considered them men and women of faith. And God is trying to develop that kind of faith in you and me. But when God called them out of the Chaldeans and said, leave your family, leave this land and come to a place that I'll show you, He didn't leave His family and they settled in Haran. So when, what is the thing that happens that now causes them to leave Haran? Terah dies. Okay, good. Who does he bring with him? He still brings family, does he not? He still brings family. Later on down the road, they have a parting of the ways, and then God is finally able to develop what He wants to do and fulfill His promise. Abraham wasn't fully obedient, but God in His mercy and His patience continued to say, I've got a plan for you, and I want you to trust me. I've got a plan for you, and I want you to trust me. Some of you are in a process of being yielded to the Lord who is your Savior, but He also wants to finish His work in your life, in you and through you in this life, and you're dragging your feet. And God says, I still have a plan for you. I want you to trust me. I still have a plan for you. I want you to trust me. We don't have the time to turn there, but it's also interesting. If you look at Joshua chapter 24, you'll see that Terah worshipped the other gods. His father actually worshipped the gods of those people there. We don't know if Terah ever really did come to faith in the true God, the one God. But it's very clear in Joshua chapter 24, you can look at it later, that Abraham's father worshipped the other gods. And there's a place in Scripture that talks about how he worshipped the moon god. But God said, come, leave. And so in Genesis 12, it says the Lord had said to Abram. And the chapter 12, what we call the call of Abraham, is a reminder of the call while he's in Haran. After his father dies, God says, now you're going to come? He does. He doesn't still fully obey, but God gets him and Lot separated to the point that he could then accomplish his purposes. Now this is important. This is important, though, that you grasp what he's promised. What has he been promised? What did God promise him here? Okay, back up. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. What else? Right? All people will be blessed through you. But remember Acts chapter 7? Go back to Acts chapter 7. I heard somebody say it. Yes, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. This is the second part of verse 2. While he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, leave your country and people, and God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of the father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. Alright? God had promised that land to him and his descendants. Now I want you to stick with me here because this is where it starts to get a little tricky. God promised Abraham that land as his inheritance. Did he ever get the land as his inheritance? Abraham never got the land as his inheritance. There in Acts chapter 7, look at verse 5. Do you see it? Look at verse 5 of Acts chapter 7. Right there in, 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 in uh, Stephen's sermon. Yeah, he said, you and your descendants will possess the land. Hey, you're running ahead, but you're very good. My wife's over here saying it's still to come. Look at verse 5. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. 
But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God said, I'm giving you and your descendants this land. Oh, by the way, who are his descendants? Okay, right. But, but who, who, who did he give birth to? No, Noah had Shemaham and Japheth. You're, you're still pre-flood here. All right. Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Okay, Ishmael, again, is not, not of the promise. We're not counting Ishmael. He's, he's, he's not of the promise. Ishmael, I'm sorry, Isaac. Did Isaac ever receive the land as his inheritance? Who did Isaac give birth to? Did Jacob ever receive the land as his inheritance? It wasn't until the time of Moses, 400 years after the time of Jacob, that the Israelites come out of Egypt and God brings them into the promised land and gives it to them. Little by little, He wipes the enemies out and gives it to them as their inheritance. But it's not until hundreds of years later. And we're going to get to it in a little bit, but that's why the Hebrew writer says, these died never having received what was promised. Now we're going to answer it. But I want to leave it there for a while. I think we get to we give the answer too quick in our style of teaching today. I think sometimes we need to wrestle with some stuff. I think the only time you really learn something is after you've tried and tried and tried and tried to solve it yourself. And then you finally said, okay, God, what is the answer? And He then gives it to us. Too many of us have been given the answer without the wrestling match. And we passed the written test, but we never passed the driving test. Because we still haven't wrestled with it. We still haven't come to that understanding of the truth for ourselves. So I'm just leaving it there. We'll come back to it. Because there's, back here in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham believed that the God who made the promise was faithful. Right? Look at verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this man, and he is good as dead. I love that description of him. Came descendants as numerous as the stars on the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham believed that the God who made the promise was faithful and able to fulfill the promise. Uh, there's a wonderful way of that's described in Romans 4. Go to Romans 4, you'll see his description there. In Romans 4, verses 18 through 22. Romans 4, verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope, Believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, Abraham believed God was able to keep his promise in what? What is he referring to here? That he would have descendants. That he would give birth. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I want you to see where God makes that promise and Abraham believes him. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. In other words, God says, I'm enough. I'm all you need. 
I'm your protection. I'm your reward. I'm all you need. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. God said to him, Look, let me clarify something for you, Abram. Eliezer of Damascus is going to be your heir. A son coming from your own body is going to be your heir. And Abraham, even though his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was barren, the scripture says he believed that what God said was true. And God gave him righteousness. Why? Righteousness is not earned. Righteousness is given to us because of our faith in God and His promise. Now, Abraham believed that God who made the promise was faithful to fulfill the promise. Yet he died not having received what was promised. And here's how he put it together, and I'll begin to lay it out for you this way. There are promises for this life that God has made that you can take to the bank. But if you're willing to be honest and to be faithful to the Scriptures, most of the promises that we have been given by God are not for this life. He's promised you a new body, has He not? Can't wait, can we? When's that going to happen? Not here. He's promised you no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow. It's going to be awesome, isn't it? When does that happen? Not here. He's promised you eternal rest, heavenly rewards. The fact that you're going to be able to see Jesus face to face and know Him as He is, as we are known. If you're honest, and I, I could take the rest of the night showing you more, most of the promises that we have been given by God as His children are not for this life. They're for the life to come. But now we've got to deal with, Abraham was promised, you will receive this land as your inheritance and your descendants. Yet he died and he never received it. What does that mean? Give me an idea. Uh, that's not what God was talking that wasn't what God was talking about? No. That's a good guess, but that's not it. Does anybody know what's going to happen after the rapture? We've been studying this. At the end of the time of the Gentiles, if you will, there's going to be a rapture of the church. We're going to go away to be with the Lord. What happens next on the earth? Tribulation period. How long does that last? Seven years. What happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period? Jesus comes back and sets up what? His kingdom. Who comes with Him? We come with Him, the church, and the Old Testament saints. And as we've done our study in our book of Revelation, there is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. Who is going to be ruling from Jerusalem? Jesus and David and, oh, didn't the Scripture say? You're going to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God? Folks, 
That land has been given to them. They died before it was given to them fully. Their descendants did get it. Of course, God in His promises, He promised them in Deuteronomy. Back when He gave them, if you obey, this is what will happen. If you disobey, this is what will happen. He, because of their disobedience, scattered them from the land and brought them back and took them out and brought them back. And then He scattered them to all the nations as He would. And He'll bring them back in the last of the last days. And He's doing that. And when it all is said and done, God is going to set up His kingdom from Jerusalem. And He's going to rule and reign. And Abraham is going to be there. And that land is given to him. Isaac is going to be there. Jacob is going to be there. And he is going to fulfill his promise to them that that land will be theirs. And they will live in it for a thousand years. And all the promises for us are going to happen too. A lot of them, though, won't happen in this life. And too many of us Christians are trying to look for God's promises fulfilled here when the Bible says we are to be seeking His kingdom and His righteousness, He said, I'll take care of food, I'll take care of clothing. He said, the life's way more important than food and clothing. He said, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want you just to walk with me and keep your eyes on what I have promised. Oh, and by the way, men and women of faith, real men and women of faith, are not looking for God to fulfill all of His promises here. Most of what He's promised is in the life to come. And that's what we're really looking for. Those of us, men and women of faith, understand this world is not our home. We understand this is a temporary place. The real world is the spiritual realm that has always existed. This is something that was created for a time. The time was created for a time. We are going to spend eternity in the real world, and that's what we're living for. And the Hebrew writer says to the Christians who are suffering because of their faith in this earth, hey, the real men and women of faith didn't live for here. Stop thinking about going back to Judaism. Stop thinking about going back to the law because of your struggles. You're thinking that this is the only life. No, no, no. Men and women of faith believed that the life to come was the life to come. How does he read it? For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And how often do we Christians sit around moping and crying because the things in this life aren't working out like we thought they would? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents their whole life. You've seen those tents. They're a tough way to live, aren't they? Look at Hebrews. Yes, a lot of them still live like that, some of the nomads. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. At the end of this Hall of Fame of Faith, and we'll hopefully get there. These were all commended for their faith, yet not yet none of them, not one, received what had been promised. Do you see that? God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Part of this is going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom. Part of this is going to be fulfilled the rest of the time in eternity. We have been given a treat that they longed for. Righteousness. Indwelling Spirit, God with us and never to leave. And we sit around saying, my car broke down. My washer stopped working. And I don't want to sound like I don't care, but I kind of don't. Because I'm starting to realize that this life 
And Christians today are starting to look like the world. And we spend all our time worrying about the things that... Well, how did Jesus say it? The pagans run after these things. Isn't that how Jesus put it? In other words, those who don't know God are the ones worrying about all that stuff. God says, would you just focus on the kingdom and His righteousness? God needs to come to each of us and say, Jim Johnson, I am your shield. I'm your great reward. I'm all you need. And what do we say? Yeah, but if I could have a new set of tires, it would be better. Don't we? And whether or not the bills are being paid or not is determining whether or not we're happy. Whether or not there's money in the bank determines whether or not we have peace. Folks, God's trying to take you to a deeper walk of faith. Oh God, that's nothing for God. Could God fix your situation? Of course He could. But He's trying to teach you to trust Him and walk in faith. And oh, don't believe the prosperity gospel. Don't believe those preachers out there that are saying if you walk with God, it'll be a means to great wealth. Timothy says the opposite. And I want to close tonight with two verses. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 9. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, listen closely, does this sound familiar? As aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day He visits us. What did it say about Abraham? He lived as an alien and a stranger in the world. And the Scripture says that we're to live the same way. Don't get so caught up in this life that you lose fact or lose sight of what's most important. And go to Philippians chapter 3. We'll close with this. Verses 12-21. through 21. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 8. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Is he living for this world? No. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings to becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let me ask you real quick. What kind of a house did Jesus have? What did His family think about Him while He was on the earth? They thought He was out of His mind. What kind of a job did he have? 
we, as far as we know, most likely he did carpentry to help take care of the family until he went into the full-time public ministry. From that point on, well, what, what was his income? Whatever God provided and however God provided. He didn't even have a steady income that we would call a steady income. He had plenty of steady income because God gave him everything he needed whenever he needed it. But all the things that we look for in this life, the things we think are impressive, Jesus never had. When he died, what kind of a garage sale did they have? What kind of an estate sale did they have? His one set of clothing. His one piece of clothing. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He didn't even have a burial plan. Is it sinking in yet how much we've been duped into thinking that we need to focus on this life? We're, we're going through an experience right now as family, and we'll get back to this passage and I'll close with this in a second. We just found out that our, our home insurance was canceled. Not because of lack of payment. We've been faithful to pay for almost 11 years. They just sent us a letter saying, we're not going to insure you anymore. You've got to get new insurance. Have a nice day. Oh, by the way, you know how hard, how hard it is to get home insurance during hurricane season. And also, there's this weird little rule that says you're not allowed to start getting new insurance until a month before your policy expires. Don't even ask me about that one. Because now we go through the process of trying to find insurance, and our insurance company says we've got two options. One's half the price of the other. We said, let's go with the one half the price of the other. And they send an inspector, and we have to pay money for an inspection, and they then say that our circuit board, our circuit box, electrical box, needs to be replaced before they'll insure us. And we could get all worried about this, that, and the other. And my attitude, I really feel like God said, Jim, it's, not, it's just a house. Call whoever it is. Tell them to get in here. Do whatever needs to be done. We could sit there and try to bargain and who can give me the best. You know what? God, this is your house. That You're going to take care of it. Let's just do it and let's do it right. That's who's doing our insurance. Don't worry. Don't, 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 get, don't get derailed from the illustration here. It's God's house. It's God's house. God, your house needs insurance. And you know what? And our attitude has been, we could easily be really upset about this. Because you know what? Everything's stupid. In the flesh, it all seems stupid. All the hoops we're having to jump through. But our attitude is this. God, you'll give us the money. You'll take care of it. Just We're just going to do it and move forward. We ain't worried about this house. We're just going to do what you tell to do. And you know what? God provides. Not that I've already obtained, verse 12, Paul says. Not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at any point you think differently... I'll let God open your eyes to that. That too God will make clear to you. That's not even my job to convince you, Paul says. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. 
Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, maybe with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like His glorious body. Isn't that awesome? Paul says there's a bunch of people all around us who are enemies of the cross and their mind is on earthly stuff. Folks, if you hang out with them long enough, you'll get sucked into it too. And let me tell you this, too many Christians are sitting around fussing about their church. And all their problems in the church and their politics in the church. Don't get sucked into that thinking you're doing God's work. You're not. You put your eyes on Jesus Christ. Because your citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven. And real men and women of faith keep looking for that city. Will God take care of our needs for today? Sure. If you need an electrical panel, will He provide? Yes. Don't get all worried about it. Keep moving. I told the guy who was here, he said, well, you can go and look at other options. I said, just do it. Do it right. Get the permits. God will take care of us. Just nail it. And God is taking care. And that's the way you should be. Don't get caught up when the latest thing happens. It's going to happen. Let me pray for us. Father, we need this. I need this. And thank you for the fact that you've shown us even today that you put Abraham in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And and as we look at his life, and we'll look as we go on further, that he was even willing to sacrifice his son because you said so. And there's a level of faith that, that we are amazed at. Yet we also saw tonight that you were patient as he began to live that life of faith. He didn't fully trust you that you were going to take care of him and he would lie about his wife being his sister. And Thank you, Lord, that you're patient with him and you're patient with us. May we hear you say to us, I'm trying to do something in your life and through you, and I want you to trust me. And may we continue to learn that lesson of yielding to you and trusting you and listening to you And Father, keep us from getting sucked up into the things of this world. Oh, there's stuff going on in our world and we need to bring it to you in prayer, but we don't need to fret about it. There are things our governments are doing that we're not too excited about and we need to be involved in the political process, but we don't need to be worried about it. The things that are happening all around the globe that might make some nervous, but we don't need to be because you've told us not to be anxious about anything. But in everything, come to you. Keep our eyes on You and live for today in obedient yieldedness to You and the fact that You will finish what You started. And a lot of it probably won't happen in this life and may we be okay with that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.